This morning we will be in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Abran sus Biblias al Evangelio según Marcos, capítulo 7, versículos 1 a 23. Now, if you're just jumping in with us now for the first time, or it's been, the, it's been a while, we're several months into our series in the book of Mark. And this series, the book of Mark, the, the, the gospel of Mark, it's about answering one question. And it's an obvious question. It's the question, who is Jesus? But it's not just a question that's, that's asking uh, for a biography of some person. It's a question that's asking, who is this person revealing himself to be? And in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark introduces him as Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And the rest of the book tethers that out. It puts flesh on the bones of that confession. Oh, and what we discover about Jesus and what Jesus' audience discovers about him is that he's very different than some may expect him to be. And listen, if you're a Christian this morning, you, you expect Jesus to be whom you have come to know him by faith. But let's never fall into the trap of complacency, believing that we know enough about Jesus, or we know him completely. Oh, he's an infinite well of glory and grace and mercy and power and goodness. So let's meet him once again this morning. And in this chapter, listen, listen, he confronts the Pharisees and the scribes for the first time since chapter 3. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they identify something wrong with Jesus, something wrong with his disciples. But Jesus confronts them in return and tells them how wrong they are and identifies for us what's really wrong in the world. So with that, would you read along with me Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites. As it is written, This people, you, Honor me with your lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, 
and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Well, this is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for not leaving us in our ignorance. Thank you for not leaving us to continue to pave our own way toward destruction by, by making up our own laws and rules and following our own standards of righteousness all the way to death. Thank you for revealing your law. Thank you for revealing your righteousness in your Son, Jesus Christ, showing us where we've gone wrong and showing us how to become right again. Lord, would you, would you show us this this morning? Would you, would you eliminate any, any self-deception that exists in our hearts that would listen to this message, that would listen to this passage from your word and think, yeah, I've got it. All's well with me. And would you convict us, confront us, and by your grace and mercy restore us, cleanse us, and reconcile us by your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, if we're looking for the drama, which these Gospels train us to do, to look for the drama, we don't have to look far. This is a dramatic confrontation of Jesus with the Pharisees and the scribes. This passage gives us the very first encounter of Jesus with these two groups since chapter 3, and it's it's the last of his Jewish ministry. From this point forward, Jesus interacts mainly with Gentiles as he finishes his northern, uh, northern Galilean Jewish ministry. And so this is sort of the culmination of his confrontations with the Jews. And these Pharisees and these scribes, they travel from Jerusalem, verse 1 says, which is about 90 miles away from where they are in northern Galilee in Capernaum. So they have an agenda. They're going to Jesus. 
just to confront him. And the reason they come is because they see something horribly wrong with their world. And they think they've found the problem in Jesus and his disciples. But Jesus, quite urgently, quite forcefully, and, and even, even sarcastically, corrects them. Listen, who here would say there's nothing wrong in your world? Nobody. None of us. You, you, you probably come this morning even with some combination of confusion and, and doubt and pain and sadness and malaise and apathy, resignation. Come with despair. Come with disillusionment, whatever it might be. We, we, we feel, even if we're not expressing it and acknowledging it, we feel there's something wrong with our world. But here's the point of this passage. And we need to get this well. If you're taking notes, write this down. If we miss what is wrong with our world, we'll miss what makes our world right. If we miss what is wrong with our world, we will miss what makes our world right. And again, as I've already said this morning, be careful lest you think, well, yeah, I already know what's wrong with it, and I already know how to make it right. We're good. No, because our habits and our tendencies and our, our unconscious thoughts and strategies betray what we already know to be true. Listen, friends, these scribes and these Pharisees, they, they are super religious. And, and you might think that their diagnosis of what's wrong with the world is way off base from your neck of the woods. Because you don't live in that religious sphere. But, but their thinking, their thinking is way closer to home than we might think for most of us. What they thought was wrong with the world, with their world, is actually it actually finds close resonance with how we tend to live our lives as well and assess and diagnose the world around us. So they were wrong, really, in two fundamental ways, and that'll be the, the two points of this message today. First, they had a wrong set of rules. A wrong set of rules. Secondly, they had a wrong recognition of what's wrong. A wrong set of rules and a wrong recognition, a wrong identification of what is wrong. So let, let, let me explain what I mean by that first point, a wrong set of rules. This is in verses 1 through 13, this initial confrontation. These guys come in and they say in verse 5, hey, hey Jesus, your disciples don't wash their hands according to the tradition of the elders. What do you say for that? How do you answer for yourself? And now Mark makes clear that his audience is non-Jewish like us because he explains in verses 3 through 4 what in the world these guys were, were, were in such a, a tizzy about. He explains that according to the tradition of the elders, which, which comes from the Mishnah, if you remember back in Mark chapter 2 and the, the controversies around the Sabbath, we explained that the Mishnah 
is, is a set of written rabbinic tradition that came out of the post-exilic period. So this, this 400-year period prior to Jesus' Jesus' life, when Israel had sort of strayed away from the law, the, the Pharisees and the religious elite, they, they created the Mishnah, this rabbinic tradition, as a fence around the, the, the Torah, the scriptures, what they knew to be God's word. And they said, you know what? Israel, we have got to become a righteous people again. So yes, follow God's law, but we're going to write this whole tradition of, of, of regulations to ensure that the law is followed to the very last letter. But what's important to know, what, what was initially intended to be a, a, an assistance toward following the heart of the law became a law in itself in the land. A set of rules that they demanded that people followed. And so what they're referring to was this, this regulation in the Mishnah that if a Jew was out in the marketplace and made physical contact with the Gentiles, and, and the, the crowds in the marketplace were massive, so you're bound to bump into somebody. So they essentially said, if you go out into the marketplace, you will come into contact with the Gentiles. So every time you go out in the marketplace, you've got to come back and you've got to wash your hands lest you become defiled. But the scriptures themselves, the Torah, had never said that anyone had to do what they were demanding. The only hand-washing required in the scriptures was for, for Jews who touched any kind of bodily fluid and for priests before they entered the tabernacle. That was it. So there are really two points of conflict in this text that it can really be distilled down down to. One is this issue of uncleanness, of, of impurity. Or, or we could even say this is representative of something much, much larger of, of unholiness or unrighteousness. They were protecting the, the moral purity of Israel. And they saw this as really one major violation. But the second point of conflict, <laughs> it's the tradition of the elders. The Mishnah, this written rule of law that was passed down from human to human to human. The tradition of the elders was, was the standard that they were defining rightness and wrongness by, that they were defining purity and impurity by. It was the set of rules that were mandatory, that they were, as Jesus said, teaching as doctrines. And Jesus' response Oh, it's forceful. Don't, don't miss this. He, this is righteous anger on, the, on behalf of Jesus. A, a zeal for God's holiness. He's not, he's not angry because he's been personally offended as a, as a human. He's not angry because he's irritated. He is, he is overcome with zeal for his Father's glory. And he quotes Isaiah 29 13, and he does two things in quoting Isaiah 29, 13. First is he calls out their hypocrisy. And he says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Verse 6, speaking of you, Isaiah prophetically says, you people honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain do you worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. 
they teach doctrines, they uphold rules that promote a righteousness, and this is what's key, that's not God's righteousness. That's not God's righteousness. The second thing he does is that he accuses them, and, and this is where it gets really intense, he accuses them of rejecting God's law. Here's the drama. He says that their commitment to establish their commands, however well-intentioned, was tantamount to rejecting God's laws. These guys were not religious slouches. They were not uncommitted. Oh, they were very committed to righteousness. But their commitment was misdirected. And and not just sort of in the direction of of God, but completely directed away from God. That's what Jesus is saying. Their, their, their hearts aren't just far from God. They're in active rejection of him. And he gives an example in verses 10 through 13. There, there's a policy in the Mishnah called Corban. And Corban sounds like the Hebrew word for, for offering. But Corban was this, this formal policy, which was a system of devoting goods to the Lord. So, so Corban was similar to uh, deferred giving today, where, where somebody writes possessions into their will. So, for instance, I would say, uh, my, my house, I'm going to give it to this child or to this charity, and it becomes a legally binding contract. So, what Jesus identifies is that Pharisees and other Jews were using Corbin as an excuse to withhold things from their own parents. And Jesus is saying, wait, the commandment to honor your father and your mother, that is God's law. That is scripture. That's a fifth commandment written down on tablets of stone on top of Mount Sinai by the very finger of God delivered to God's people by God's intermediary, Moses. And yet you're making void God's law by your technical procedure. Father comes to his son and says, son, our house, your mother's and mine house has fallen into disrepair. Can we live in your second house? The son says, sorry pops, it's Corbin, devoted to God. Can't let you do it. While all the while maintaining the benefits personally from that asset until he dies. Once he dies, it's given formally to God and to the temple. But he's just sort of skirted around God's requirement through a man-made rule. Here's, Here's what Jesus is getting at here. He's not just saying Corbin is the problem, right? He's saying Corbin is a symptom of the perversion of the Pharisees. He's saying that adding to God's law distorts God's law. And following a distorted law is a rejection of God's actual law. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Following a distorted law is a rejection of God's actual law. Now, what is God's law? (laughs) Let's define that so we all understand. Technically, this is the Mosaic law. This is the Ten Commandments. 
but more broadly speaking, and the Apostle Paul speaks often of God's law, God's law, broadly speaking, is the revelation of his righteousness. It's the revelation of his righteousness. He is righteous and he requires righteousness. So, the, so God's law is how to live in light of his righteousness. It is his holy and righteous standard. So God's law was given to reveal God's righteousness so that we might live in his world in a righteous way. And he graciously revealed that to us. Romans 3, Romans chapter 3, 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law, which is every person, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. In other words, he gave the law so that everyone would have no excuse that they didn't know how to live rightly before God. He did not leave us to our own devices to figure out how he wanted us to live, but he revealed his righteousness to us. But the Jews added to the law. Unless we wag our fingers at the Pharisees and say, shame on you for adding to the law, you and I have the very same tendency. We have the very same tendency to distort God's law and add to it and sort of make it our own and form our understanding of what is good and righteous according to what's convenient for us. We define our, we, we go outside of God's law and define our goodness by rules that we make up for ourselves and, and we define our goodness by the title that we carry or by how much money we, we do or don't make or, or by, by our use of Christian freedoms or lack thereof by the kinds of entertainment that we take in, but by, by tallying our accomplishments and our achievements. Or on the other side of the spectrum, we, we judge by our rules other people, but by their political affiliation. And we will, we will look at another, and based on how they vote or based on based on their political stances on one thing or the other, take that as law and judge them according to those standards. We, we, we judge others and define goodness or, or unrighteousness or impurity on the basis of things that just annoy us about them. And this one probably hits closer to home for most of us than any other. Our, our preferences and this happens with parents all the time, doesn't it? If you, have, if you have young kids, how difficult is it to distinguish between what is sin in your kids and what is just maddening? My kids break things all the time. They, they, they are like walking tornadoes. But when they break things, it's not necessarily because they're sinning. But I will, I will respond to their behavior as though they are and judge them by a list of house rules and teach them that the law that they live under huh, is my law. Guys, don't you dare violate my law. We can judge others by the cultural differences among us. 
cultural habits and even cultural traditions, and we can assess one another as, as better or not as good based on our backgrounds and cultural upbringing. But friends, listen, if what is wrong with the world is defined by the set of rules that you and I make up for ourselves, chaos reigns. Chaos reigns. And we see that in our world today, don't we? The, the, the standards of what is right and what is wrong are just all over the place, and it's each to his own. Chaos reigns. But listen, God has defined and he has revealed how to live righteously in his world. And since he has revealed his law, listen, his law functions graciously to show us where we've actually gone wrong. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says, Had it not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And, and that seems like such an insignificant statement that Paul makes there. But he also says in Galatians chapter 3 that through the, through the law comes knowledge of sin. It lets us know God's law identifies for us what is wrong with the world, where things have gone wrong, where, where something is just preference or where something really is not wrong at all and where something actually is. Where where something is just a matter of tradition and ritual cleansing that's really meaningless, and where something is a violation of God's law and needs a much deeper solution. God's law helps us to identify what's wrong with the world. And when we come across the Pharisees and the scribes here, they have a wrong recognition of what's wrong because of their wrong set of rules. So that brings us to the second point. And this is verses 14 through 23, the second half of this conflict, a wrong recognition of what's wrong. So Jesus turns from the Pharisees and he turns to the broader crowd. And again, really solemnly, very seriously, he says, he says, hear me all of you and understand. In other words, listen to what I'm saying. Don't miss this. Pay attention. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him morally. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. After this, which is probably a much longer scene, he goes into, the, into a house with his disciples. And his disciples say, hey, Jesus, what do you mean? What do you mean back there? We, we, didn't really, we didn't really get what you were saying. And once again, <laughs> once again, they don't understand. And, and their, their, their misunderstandings will only continue to become worse in the next few chapters. But they still don't understand. And so Jesus says, are you still without understanding? Commentator James Edwards says, the disciples are like a dog looking at the pointed finger of its master rather than at what the finger is pointing to. Hold that image in your mind. They're like a dog looking at the pointed finger of the master rather than what the finger is pointing to. What is Jesus pointing at? He's pointing at their hearts. And that's what they didn't understand. He explains in verses 18 through 22 that what goes into a person 
cannot morally defile him. Because it doesn't go into what? Their heart, which is, which is the, the spiritual center of, of personhood. It is the, the seat of human will and emotion and affection. It is, it is the human will that Jesus is talking about. He says, but anything that goes into a person, food, what is not kosher according to Jewish tradition, that just goes into their stomach and then is expelled. It might make you physically unhealthy, but it doesn't defile you. But, he says, what comes out of a person's heart? And he names them. Jesus gets very specific. He doesn't leave us in, in the... the territory of the general. He says things like evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. When these come out of the heart, these sins, those defile you guys. That's what I'm saying, you twelve. Jesus reverses the direction of the flow of impurities. It's actually inner impurities that defile things outside. And listen, we were actually talking about this at our men's meeting on Thursday. We tend to work so hard to protect our physical bodies from viruses entering in, right? I mean, I don't have to explain the last three years and and all the measures that were taken, but, but even so now, it's flu season. If somebody has a flu, we say, stay home! We avoid them. Just, just don't go near me. I don't want to be throwing up. We, we, we take medications. We, 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 we take vaccines and, and, and other things to protect our bodies against them. Yet, we don't apply the same measures to what's already within us. And has a tendency to come out from us and actually infect our souls. When the sin that resides in your heart comes out from your heart, that's what defiles you. That's what's wrong with our world. Listen, if, if this sounds like I'm saying you are the problem and I'm the problem with our world, I am. That's the bad news of the gospel. We can be in danger and self-righteously respond to this and go, ah, yes, Jesus is so wise. Ah, sin inside people is what defiles people. I know those people. While we're missing the fact that Jesus is pointing at the particular, at the particular sins that are residing within you and within me that are defiling us. And we pay no attention to what he's pointing at. We're looking at his finger, and we go, yes, Jesus, you are so right. <laughs> you, you hit the nail on the head. You sure did. And we're not looking at what he's pointing at. There's a lesson here, not just for the disciples and the Pharisees, but, but for us. There, there's a lot wrong with your world. Oh. And it's your heart that Jesus is after. So let's, let's back up for just a second and I want to explain how we get to where we're at right now, biblically. And think about this in terms of your own heart, okay? So let's go back to Romans 3. And if you would, you know, let's turn in our Bibles. We don't oftentimes turn away from that central text. But go to Romans chapter 3, okay? 
and look down at verse 20. Paul says in Romans 3.20, he says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Which means that for, for by doing the law, no person will be made right in God's sight. God gave the law to reveal sin, but the, but the law could never save us from our sin. Why? Because sin is a problem too deep for rules and washings to fix. James 2.10 says that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is accountable to what? The whole law. In other words, obeying the law ten times doesn't make up for breaking it once. Once you've broken the law, you've passed the point of no return. And that's why Jesus reacts so strongly against cleansing rituals. He's saying, guys, do you, do you really think that washing your hands is going to make you morally pure? Do you really think that's what the problem is here? That you can wash sin off with water and, and somehow be right before the Lord? But Jesus says the problem even goes deeper. It's not just that you've each broken the law, but it's that by breaking the law, you have each become law breakers at heart. Law breaking or unrighteousness, it's not something that we're forced to do by our environment and, and things and people outside of us. We, we didn't become impure by touching what's outside of us. We are imp impure before the Lord because our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are not essentially good, and we unfortunately are forced by outside influences to do and say and think what we wouldn't otherwise want to do and say and think, and we're just victim of our victims of our circumstances, which is a common way of thinking. If you have a tendency toward yelling at your kids or, or, or responding explosively in conflicts. You, you may have grown up in a tumultuous home, but your anger can't be blamed on your upbringing and circumstances. Jesus is saying, you've expressed unrighteous anger because there's anger in your heart. I, I, one of the things I really struggle with is I'm, I am irritable and impatient, especially when I get home from work and I just sort of want my world to be nice and calm and peaceful. And then certain members of my household will poke at me and prod at me with, with their behavior and loud noises. And, and, and I'll, just, just guys, be quiet. Just shh. And I become really irritable. And it's not good. And gosh, I would love to change that. But they don't force me to become irritable. They're not the problem. My, my sinful response cannot be blamed on the people outside of me. Let, let's look at this from another perspective, okay? If you've developed a, a sailor's mouth, is the solution to stop watching movies with scripts written by writers whose vocabulary is limited to four-letter words? Do you just remove the outside influence? 
If you're slipping down the hill of sexual immorality, should you install accountability software on your computer? If you've become cynical and critical of others and just flat out discontent with your life and are prone toward complaining, do you need to persevere through what's likely a tough season and wait for brighter days? The answer to all three of those is probably yes. Sure. Sure. Those are all good treatments, but none of them are the cure. So don't hear me saying, well, it doesn't matter what you expose yourself to or what the people around you say or what kind of media you take in. What I am saying is changing your outward circumstances is not the cure. To to approach what is wrong in your heart with strictly changing your outside circumstances is to do exactly what the Pharisees were doing by just creating rules to try to make yourself right again. Too often we try to clean our environment of things and people that make us sin. Listen, when a a chunk of raw meat is left out for too long, deadly salmonella can begin to fester within it. But but listen, if meat has salmonella, it's because it was there even before the animal was butchered. It actually is a a bacteria that grows within the gut of farm animals. And it it just thrives in certain conditions. But those conditions didn't create it. And if a piece of meat is full of, of the bacteria, you can't just wipe it down with a rag. You can't just put it back into the fridge in a colder environment and, and undo the growth of salmonella. Changing its exterior circumstances won't fix it. People and circumstances in our environment, they might tempt us to sin, but temptation does not make us sin. Temptation just brings to the surface the bacteria that's already in our hearts and allows it to fester. Listen, I've used this illustration before, and it's taken from Ted Tripp, but man, is it worth repeating. If you're holding a glass of milk, and I come by you and I bump that glass of milk, and milk spills all over the floor. Why did milk spill all over the floor? because there was milk in the glass. The reason juice or water didn't spill on the floor is because what was in that glass was milk. My bumping it didn't make what was in that glass turn into milk. My bumping it just brought it out. Jesus' words, it's not what goes into a person from the outside that defiles him. What comes out of a person defiles him. It's not the bump from the outside makes what's inside come out. So if there is sin in our hearts that's being bumped out again and again, what do we do? That's the question, right? That's the question. And that's where the person who is speaking to the Pharisees and to the crowds and to the disciples, that's where he comes in. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3. Hopefully you've got your finger in there. One more time, verse 20. No one will be justified, fixed by the law, right? We, we, we can't undo law-breaking by law-keeping. 
But verse 21, verse 21, but now, now the righteousness of God, which was previously revealed through the law, right? Now the righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed apart from the law. One of the most remarkable statements in the New Testament. And then verses 22 through 26. The righteousness of God. What kind of righteousness has been revealed apart from the law? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Amen. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned. All are accountable to the law and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, his rightness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh my goodness. Read this passage this week over and over and over again and plumb its depths because what he is saying is that God revealed his righteousness through the perfect life of his son. He said, do you want to see what righteousness looks like in human form, I give you Jesus, the perfect upholder of the law. And then he sent him to a cross, to die on the cross, to be offered as, these are theological words, to be offered as a propitiation by his blood. A propitiation is that which satisfies a penalty, satisfies God's wrath satisfies what is wrong in your world by his blood. And we know from the Old Testament ceremonial law that it was only blood, death, which could atone for sin. Because sin deserves nothing but the penalty of death. What, what water could not cleanse from hands, Jesus' blood has cleansed from our very hearts and thus removing God's penalty for our uncleanness. He took our sin on himself and paid for it. And then verse 24, he offered his righteousness, look at verse 24, as a gift. So God says, don't try to make yourself right. Don't try to undo your unrighteousness. Receive the righteousness of my son as a gift. The law cannot cleanse, that's the point the law cannot make righteous or set right what has gone terribly wrong, but Jesus can. That's why Jesus is so serious in these, in these verses. Because he's saying, Pharisees, scribes, disciples, I am here. Commentator James Edwards says brilliantly, he says, Jesus, and not the traditions of men, is able to declare what is pleasing to God. Mark identifies Jesus as the one who, in contrast to the oral tradition, is the true revealer of God. 
For Jesus can produce the inner transformation that the law requires but cannot produce. That your rules cannot produce. That your attempts at law keeping cannot produce. But he can through transformation of the heart. Salmonella is eliminated not by cleansing the bacteria from the meat, but by killing it with fire, transforming the meat. How do you receive this transformation, this cleansing, this, this righteousness, this fix for what is wrong in your heart? By trusting that Jesus took the fire of God's wrath for you, by by faith, you are cleansed in him. Going back to verse 6, our sin has drawn us from God, has drawn our hearts from God. Not only are our hearts defiled, but they're distant from God. How do we become near to God again? Through through the same Jesus, (laughs) through faith in the same Savior. The only way we can be brought near to God and fix what the Pharisees got so desperately wrong is through Christ. And friend, I I know all of you, but I don't know if there is saving faith in every single person in this room, so I'm not going to assume that. And if you're sitting there going, "I I think I might still be defiled, and not cleansed by by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's talk today. Or talk to your parents or or whoever that might be. This is the most important decision you can make and whatever is wrong with your world, that's the only fix. So as we close, here's where the rubber meets the road. If you're the one that we discussed earlier who gets angry or who's giving in to sexual immorality, who's envious, who, who's, whose mind is tending toward wickedness, or, or you're on that list of 12 sinful attitudes and behaviors, or you're somewhere else on another list. What do you do with this? What do you do with this? Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's, here are three things to take home with you. And we can talk about these as a small group this, this week as well. Three things. One, take practical measures, but don't look to them as the cure. Do take practical measures, but don't look to them as the cure. If, if you are watching filthy entertainment and listening to filthy entertainment, don't, don't do that. <laughs> but that's not the cure. Two, repent and receive Jesus' forgiveness and righteousness by faith actively do that. And too often we we listen to to sermons or we read the Bible and we think, yep, repentance and faith is how we we do this. But then we don't actually actively go before the Lord and express repentance in particular terms and express our faith in him to forgive us and to give us the righteousness that we need. Actually do that in your fight against sin, and your fight against what keeps coming out of your heart, actually repent moment by moment, day by day, as often as it comes out. Repent 
and cast yourself on the grace of God through, through Christ Jesus. If he really is the solution, and look to him, let your affections for him increase. And thirdly, so first, take practical measures, but don't look to them as a cure. Secondly, repent and receive Jesus' forgiveness and righteousness by faith. Thirdly, be motivated by grace. Again, this is where we can go so wrong. We take application point number three here and we start with it. We try to be motivated to do better without having laid hold of the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Because when we, when we try to do better apart from having received his grace and being assured of his righteous, righteousness for us, then we move forward trying to become righteous. That's why repentance and faith is so key because it's a, it's a confession that it's already done. I don't, have to, I don't have to attain to the standard anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to honor God anymore to, to get my heart closer to him. My heart has been brought near to him in Christ. And now I'm living to honor him, to live for his glory because I have been brought near to him in Christ. Grace motivates like the law never would and never will. So if we miss what's wrong with our world, we'll miss what makes it right. And if we confess what's wrong in our hearts, friends, we can trust Jesus to make it right. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what a, what a good message your gospel is. That you sent your son to be a propitiation for our sins. That the righteousness that you require has been given to us as a gift through your son. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts against making up rules and standards of righteousness outside of your law locating the problem of, the, of this world outside of where Jesus has located it. Oh, but Lord, I pray that we would also not seek silly solutions, solutions that have been tried and have failed, that amount to trying to wash sin off of our hands with water. I pray that we would cast ourselves upon the cross of Christ in faith, desperately, desperately asking you for grace and receiving it. We pray this in his name. Amen.